From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And no matter what your political leanings are, I hope we can all agree it's been too damn cold out. So if you're anything like your budget tracker, you'll stay close to a heater if you're listening to us on this frigid Monday. In any case, we had a tiny smidgen of good news last week when Congress averted a partial government shutdown yet again, this time extending current funding into early March. So now there's more time yet again to negotiate final overdue appropriations for the fiscal year that began last October. But meanwhile, we have other business to talk about because just when you thought nothing else was happening on Capitol Hill, support seems to be growing for a bipartisan package of tax breaks, reviving some tax breaks for businesses and expanding a child tax credit. It won lopsided support in the House Ways and Means Committee last week. So where does the bill go from here and can it really pass? And this could also be an important week in the Senate where leaders appear hopeful of making serious headway on a border security deal that could pave the way for long-delayed aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. But can a deal really come together? So lots to talk about today. And joining me for that conversation are Caitlin Riley, who has been covering the big tax deal for CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Caitlin. Thanks, David. And John Donnelly, the senior defense writer at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, John. Always good to be here. So let's begin with the tax package because it's actually been kind of surprising to me how much support seems to be building for this deal after some months of quiet negotiations between the two top House and Senate tax writers. So Caitlin, bring us up to date if you can. What's in this package, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about $78 billion devoted to three business tax breaks, the child tax credit, and then um, a little bit of that will also go to boosting funding um, for the construction of low-income housing, um, extending relief, tax relief to individuals affected by natural disasters, and extending sort of tax treaty-like um, benefits to Taiwan. Um, the bulk of that, about um, $33 billion each, will go to the business tax credits, which include um, full upfront deductions of research and development investments, and then also to expanding the child tax credit with kind of the most significant benefit going to low-income families with more than one kid. Right. And so that's kind of what made it bipartisan, right, is the Democrats have been pushing for a long time to revive the the expansion of the child tax credit that had lapsed during after the pandemic. Right. Uh, There was a brief expansion and then it lapsed. And Democrats have been eager to restore that. Right. Saying it's going to lift all these kids out of poverty if we could do it again. And then the Republicans, of course, wanted the, to restore these business breaks, particularly this this upfront expensing for the R&D, right? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Democrats for about the last um, two years have said that they won't do anything to extend the business tax credits unless um, there's parity between what's spent on that and what's spent to expand the child tax credit. And so the agreement they've landed on is about um, $33 billion for each of those. And that's the base framework of the deal that's allowed it to go forward with um, Democratic support in the Senate and now the House and Republican support in the House. What's still unknown is whether Senate Republicans will come on board. That is, so it's $78 billion total. That's over several years, right? Yeah. That's been, that cost them for several years. Yeah, it would be retroactive for 2023 um, on a lot of these, um, some of those a bit further back. And then through 2025, um, which is when a lot of the other provisions in the 2017 tax law will expire and Congress is expected to uh, take action to address that. And so that would sort of have bring these provisions um, in line with the expiration date for many of those 2017 provisions. Oh, okay. Well, fis- fiscal 2025 is just next year, so not, it doesn't... Ex- so we don't. It doesn't go that far then. Yeah, last year, this year, and then twenty twenty five. So it had a lopsided vote in House Committee, right? Forty to three. I was a little surprised. Yeah, um, House Democrats, House Ways and Means Democrats, in the lead up to the vote, had been very critical of it for doing too little on the child tax credit. They say they'd like a return to the enhanced child tax credit that was in place during 2021 under the American Rescue Plan. That involved uh, the credit was increased. It was immediately available to families with little to no taxable income, and it was paid out um, in monthly installments. And so House Democrats had maintained that that's what they'd like to see um, in this deal. But then when it came down to it on the vote, last Friday, most of them seemed to come to the conclusion that something was better than nothing. And so you saw all but three um, House Ways and Means Democrats vote to approve the leg- the legislation and, and send it to the full House for consideration. Yeah, this is not this would not be the full expansion that they wanted that they had during the pandemic. And the problem was, it's just really costly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this bill, like we said, would v- devote about $33 billion to its expansion of the child tax credit, um, while the 2021 expansion that was just in effect for that year cost about $110 billion. So it's a very, it's a much lower um, oh, yeah. price this tag. Only a third as generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. Well, that, and this is over a few years, so it doesn't, re- it really doesn't do them uh, what they wanted. Exactly. And yet, it is something that I guess has a chance of passing this way with bipartisan support. Um, do you expect it to pass the House? And then where do things look in the Senate? I think right now, based on the House Ways and Means vote, it looks like its chances are pretty good in the House, um, especially if that level of Democratic support holds. Um, I guess the question in the House is always... Uh, <laughs> there's always the possibility to become mired in bigger problems in the House. Um, but yeah. right now, support in both parties in the House looks pretty strong. The Senate is a little bit more of an unknown. Although, although let me just interrupt you on the House, Caitlin, because 
it sounds like these, you know, with the with the rebellious freedom caucus up in arms for a number of reasons here over spending, it sounds like nothing's going to pass in the House anymore in in regular order. That is, you know, to get a rule on the floor for debate and all that because they can easily block the rule. So it sounds like any legislation that's going to pass is going to be done under suspension of the rules, which means you need a two-thirds majority vote. But but you're saying you envision getting two-thirds support then? That's what members are saying. Okay. And then, so it could get through the House, and then how is it looking in the Senate? In the Senate, it's a lot... Uh, there are a lot more unknowns, particularly because Senate finance Republicans who are led by um, the ranking member Michael Crapo from um, Idaho have not signed on to the deal publicly. They're saying they still have issues with it, that they'd like to see other things. Um, Senator Crapo has not said publicly what he would like to change, but other Senate finance Republicans have criticized the bill for spending too much on the child tax tax credit. Um, and, and others have also criticized the pay for included in the bill, which would be to end um, employee retention tax credit filings early. That was a pandemic um, era tax credit program that's been rife with fraud. And the, the plan is by ending that they would offset a lot of the bill's costs. But there are some Republicans in the Senate who have taken issues uh, taken issue with that as, as the plan to pay for it. So it's not... Meaning because they want to keep that credit? From what I've heard, I think Senator Tillis has been the loudest on this. What he said is that was a pandemic era program that wasn't paid for because it was an emergency. And so it's not fair to take spending that was not paid for in the first place to um, and, and use that to offset the cost of something else because that wasn't offset to begin with. Oh, so he's saying it's not a real pay for. It's not a real yeah. way of, of paying for this package. Okay. Yeah. And that was an important point because the supporters of this are saying this is fully paid for, I think, right? Because by scaling back that re- employee retention credit, it's enough money to pay for all these all these breaks that they want to provide. Yeah, exactly. And some of them are saying it's not a real way to pay for it. So that's all right. Well, that's going to be a point of friction then that could derail this, right? Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll see. It's it's always hard to gauge because House Democrats were so critical of this until the markup, and then really got behind this bill in in a big way. Um, and then yeah. you know you never. There can always be a disconnect uh, between what people are saying publicly and how they end up voting. I would imagine if this passes the House with strong support, that may also increase pressure on Senate Republicans to uh, figure out a way to get on board. Okay. So bottom line prediction is you think this might actually pass? I... (laughs) <laughs> really hesitate to make any predictions, but I would say that the likelihood of passage looks better this morning than it did two weeks ago. Okay, I think the, the package has sort of defied expectations so far. Okay. So we will watch and see how this, how, where this package goes from here. It's very interesting. Yeah. Really, uh, I'm just angling for my next budget podcast invitation. <laughs> Bring me back so I can keep talking about this. We'll David. have to update the status of this tax package. We'd be glad to have you back. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin. Meanwhile, John, we need to talk about this, this supplemental spending package. 
because as we left things last week, Senate leaders from both parties did sound pretty hopeful that we would see this package now. I think Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, said he expected to see it on the floor this week uh, as we tape on Monday this week. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, refused to be pinned down to a timeline for it. He made no promise of floor time, we should say. But he too sounded sounded awfully optimistic, said for the first time he thinks it has a, you know more of a chance of passing than not passing, I think is how he put it. So both sides sounded pretty hopeful here that, that this is going to come together in the Senate. Do you share that optimism? Where do you think things stand? Well, I would note, uh, first of all, that we have heard notes of optimism throughout this process. And granted, they're a little more optimistic than they were before, but Schumer saying it's, it's, it's above 50% is not exactly a resounding vote of confidence. And uh, in terms of whether it will happen this week, no one, you know, even McConnell, when he made that statement, and he may, may have said it more than once, every time I heard it, he qualified it with, the, with something like, of course, it's up to Senator Schumer. And of course, all this depends on a deal actually being struck. And that's the key point that that they have yet to uh, to reach agreement. And it, just to back up a little bit, I mean, we're talking about a supplemental for, as you noted at the outset, Ukraine, Israel, uh, uh, Indo, in, in, Indo-Pacific uh, partners. There's also some border security uh, money in there, uh, money for immigration courts, about $1.5 billion that doesn't get talked about a lot. And when I say in there, I mean the uh, 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 Chuck Schumer, uh, Patty Murray uh, in December put together a $110.5 billion bill. But, 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 but Republicans in both chambers said, you're not going to get that unless you have border security uh, policy changes uh, attached to it. Um, so, you know, we do not yet have a deal. Apparently, the biggest uh, uh, stumbling block is uh, what to do about um, so-called humanitarian parole, the president's authority to allow people to remain in the country for a particular period of time. Uh, that seems to be the, the last huge uh, bone of contention. But until there's a deal, there isn't a deal, right? And until there's a deal, they're not, they're not going to get anything done. However, I do think there, there's, there's a great deal of pressure for them to act ASAP and, may, and maybe this week. In other words, for McConnell and Schumer to say, you all need to come up with something, right? And, 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 and let's try to do that this week. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, we, if they do come up with something this week. But then you get to the question of what are the odds of passage? I mean, I think they're depending on what they come up with, the odds of passage are greater in the Senate than in the House. Um, and whatever they do to restrict immigration further, while it will make Republicans uh, happier, <laughs> it will make many Democrats sadder. And so it's going to be a real dicey proposition as to whether this thing can get through the House. And as you indicated earlier, just about every controversial bill in the House now has to, has to get two-thirds majority. And um, and so that makes it even harder, right? So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I would even give it a fifty-fifty chance of, of becoming law. Yeah, it, it really. It's and it's it, been this way for months. It's the tussle over border security that's really tying this thing in knots. 
because Republicans are just insistent on this point. And now we're into an election year. And apparently there's a guy named Donald Trump who might raise a ruckus over over a, a border security package. Where Has he already, I think he's already uh, made clear he opposes this or no? <laughs> yes, he's made clear he opposes it even before he's seen it. And he's, he actually uh, said on his Truth Social uh, uh, platform uh, last week that um, the whatever bill emerges has to have, quote, everything that Republicans want and has to be, quote, perfect. Right. And, you know, the Republicans passed this H.R. 2, very strict immigration bill, um, you know, uh, um, months ago. And um, that seems to be what they and the House Republicans want. And even though Speaker Mike Johnson has sounded a little bit conciliatory on that point, saying things like, well, it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't care what it's called. It just has to have the elements of H.R. 2. It doesn't sound that conciliatory to me. Um, he's still saying we want the elements of that bill, and of course he's going to say that. I mean, this is a this is a public posture that he's taking. He's going to take as as tough a stand as he can. Um, but the reality is, they are going to want most everything from HR two in whatever comes out of these negotiations, and that will be that's a that's a non-starter with Democrats. So, um, they, you know, there's a reason why immigration policy has not been changed by Congress in three decades, because it's a real hard nut to crack. And they're trying to do it in a real short amount of time with all kinds of political pressures. And meanwhile, I, th it, I do think it seems like jo Mike Johnson is under even more pressure now, John, because he's really infuriated his party's right flank with this stopgap funding deal that they didn't like on top of the top line spending deal for the year, that bipartisan accord that they really hated, right? And the border security stuff is really now the last place he can look to prove his conservative bona fides with the party's right wing, which is, I think, is why you're seeing him come out so forcefully saying it's HR2 or nothing. You know, he's, he's been saying that for weeks. That he, He's tried to back off a little bit, as you pointed out, to give a little wiggle room, but not much. So he's really under pressure now to, de to, de to deliver something that he can take to his conference and say, look at these conservative wins on the border, right? Yep, that's a, that's a perfect description of, of the situation. And that, that, you know, ultimately, he's probably going to um, offer, some, you know, you got to think that something is going to come of this, right? That it's not just all going to, it's not all going to just completely collapse, that they, that the negotiators are going to come up with some kind of deal. And it, it is, there's going to have to be some kind of compromise on both sides. But as you indicate, you know, the pressure in the House Republican conference is very much in the direction of being as strict as possible and, and, Hewing as closely to HR two as possible, and that is just going to make it even harder to you know to get to the White House, get, get the thing to the to the president's desk. And meanwhile, this is tying up sixty billion dollars worth of aid to Ukraine, about fourteen billion dollars for Israel, and I'm seeing news reports now, John, that Ukraine is just about running out of bullets. Yeah. 
Yeah. Of course, the United States is not the only country that's contributing arms to Ukraine, uh, but we are the leader and in more ways than one, right? Especially in terms of the geopolitical force behind the cause. And so, yeah, it is getting to be a really dire situation. And uh, so, you know, but the thing that that is, even though a lot of people have made the point, I don't think it's very well appreciated. This money is overwhelmingly going at, at least, you know, something like more than $40 billion of this. It's actually $65 billion, I think, for Ukraine in the in the in the Schumer Murray bill, but something like two thirds of it is going straight to U.S. defense contractors to either build new weapons to go to Ukraine or to build new weapons to replace the stuff the Pentagon sent from its shelves to Ukraine earlier, or it's money that's going to the Pentagon to support operations of troops in the European theater. So, you know, the very phrase "aid to Ukraine" is kind of a misnomer. It's really, uh, it's really aid to the U.S. Uh, defense industrial complex. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's happening in order to, it, simply in order to, you know, bankroll more weapons production. But in turn, it's not like they're just like putting a bunch of money on a ship and sending it over to Ukraine, you know, or putting a bunch of weapons on a ship and sending it over to Ukraine. It's going to the, the, the money's being spent mostly in the United States. And yet, Mike Johnson is still pushing back on that, John. I saw him comment the other day that he still wants to see some kind of in-game strategy for Ukraine before they, before they allow another package of aid. And there is this growing resistance, I think, in the House GOP. Um, I'm not sure it's a majority of them, but it's a good number of them. And Mike Johnson's involved, which is significant, who are pushing back and saying, you know, when is enough enough? And and if there's no end game here, you know, we've got our own problems at our own border. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know how much they, they really mean that or, or, versus just a, a pretext for opposing it for other reasons. But the two points they make, one, what's the strategy? And two, where's the accountability? Right. Well, as far as accountability is concerned, there are all kinds of audits being undertaken to, to oversee this, this spending. And, and, uh, and on the strategy part, you know, um, it's pretty clear the, the objective here is to get Russia out of Ukraine or exact such a high price on them that they need that they come to the negotiating table. And the strategy is to take back as much territory as possible and to and to, you know, cause that pain to Russia. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm a little skeptical of this, you know, we need a strategy stuff. Um, it's pretty clear what is trying to be accomplished here. Um, so I'm not quite sure uh, that that holds water. So the Senate negotiators do have been sounding hopeful. We know they've been furiously talking back and forth. Give me a prediction, John. Are we going to see a bill on the Senate floor this week? Yeah, I, I, I uh, this week is going to be tough, um, but I would say yes. I think, as I indicated, I, I don't, I can't, I, I just, I can't imagine the whole thing collapsing into a, a heap of rubble. I, I, I feel like they're going to come up with something, and they're going to give it a try, right? And so it's more, it's, it's, it's a decent bet that that will be this week in the Senate, but. You know, that's not the hard part, as we just walked through. Uh, the hard part is what happens after that in the other chamber. 
Okay. Well, see, the, the advantage of hosting the podcast is I don't have to make predictions, but I can hold you accountable for this prediction, for both of you, for your predictions, and we can uh, we can have you back and, and uh, see whether you're right and wrong and chastise you if you're wrong and praise you if you're right, and that's the joy of doing this. But that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning. The Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. My thanks again to Caitlin Riley and John Donnelly for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. You can find all of our coverage on the tax deal, on the supplemental spending package, and more at CQ.com or at RollCall.com. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. Thank you.